my most loving pranams at Bhagwan's Lotus Feet, dear listeners, it's my pleasure to welcome you to this week's episode of the Gita series, A Triune Pilgrimage. As always, this is Prem, your friend from Team Radio Sai, and I have the honor and pleasure of connecting with all of you from our studios at Prashanti Nilayam. For those of you who are regular listeners of this program, I'm very grateful to all of you for joining me week after week and giving me this opportunity to, along with you, journey through this wonderful work called the Bhagavad Gita and uh, we are in the fifth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. I've mentioned this a couple of times before. There is a lot of repetition in the concepts and themes, but uh, there are they are spoken of from different points of view. They're spoken of explaining, using different words, which again give us different insights. But nevertheless, there is repetition and that is not to without reason. Because one of the Ideas behind going through a text like the Bhagavad Gita, the Upanishads or the epics or any other spiritual scripture is not only to be informed about concepts and what it has to say. That of course is one of the primary motives behind it. But also the idea is to give as much as mind space as possible to these concepts. You constantly keep repeating them over and over again. You contemplate them. You roll them in your mind, what we refer to in Sanskrit as mananam, right? Because as Swami would say that you don't get tired of eating the same food. You eat three times a day. You don't get tired of going after the same pleasures. You don't get tired of doing the same things. You don't get tired of pampering the same body for so many years. Why should there be boredom or why should there be any hesitancy in accepting the truth being told again and again? Because this is also one of the ways by which the mind is literally made to contemplate on this and made to dwell on this again and again. So in that sense, yes, there is a lot of repetition, but that repetition is not without plan or reason. As we do every week, let's begin with a short summary of the verses that we covered last time. We went through verses 17, 18 and 19 of the fifth chapter and probably we'll go through three more verses today. The 17th was an interesting shloka that played with the word Tat, the word Tat which is used for referring to Brahman, which can be literally translated into English as that, because there is no attribution of gender to the divine principle. And the most uh, popular usage of that word Tat is in Tatvam Asi, right? So in the 17th verse, the word Tat was used literally in a form of an alliteration where Krishna said, one who is Buddhi is awakened to that Tat, one who identifies one's own self with Tat, one who sees that Tat as the goal and also 
is firmly attached to that tat, has all flaws destroyed and reaches a state from where there is no return or reaches a state of moksha. We discussed in detail how all these descriptions are connected, how the way the buddhi functions when it is awakened to Brahman and how that is connected to identifying oneself with Brahman and identifying Brahman as the goal and all of that and how it modifies the way we discriminate in everyday life. We discussed about all of that last week. In the 18th verse, Krishna described the nature of the person that he mentioned in the previous verse as saying, for him or her, there is no difference between a pious Brahmin, a cow, an elephant, a dog or even a dog eater. In the next shloka, Krishna explains how this is so. He says that all the flaws that we speak about, all the merits that we speak about can only be attributed to the body or to the mind. And the moment one declares that I have understood that the individual is only the Atma, only the self and not the body or the mind, such a person, a jnani, can never attribute qualities to the individual. right? And another point that Krishna makes in the 19th is that such a person who does not see any discrimination, does not see any attributes or flaws, in other words, who sees through names and forms like one looks through a glass, literally like that. I look at you, I don't see you based on your gender, I don't see you based on your age, I don't judge you based on how you look, what you are. I look past all of these attributes and look at you as another embodiment of that divine self, as Swami would call Divyatma Swarupas. What Krishna says in the 19th verse and which was interesting is, anyone who is able to see like this, see through all the physical attributes and see the self, such a person is liberated even when alive. What this means is that the ability to live in that state is itself the reward. It is not like if you live like this, after this life ends, you will be called onto a platform, you will be given a medal and placed in heaven. It's not like that. This state of being able to look beyond the physical and attribute an individual to the Atma is itself liberation, is itself the reward for this spiritual quest. So those were the verses that we went through and uh, these are all verses which have connection with each other. They are in one portion of the chapter speaking of the same concepts. So these are the three verses that we went through. The verses we are going to go through are also going to build on whatever was said in these previous three verses. So we will listen to the first shloka for today, verse number 20 of chapter 5. I will give you a very brief meaning after that and then we will discuss in detail of what Krishna says in that shloka and how it is connected to whatever we have gone through so far. Na prahrushyet priyam prapya No dvijet prapya cha priyam Sthira buddhira sammudho Brahma vid Brahma nisthitaha Knower of Brahman who is established in Brahman should have his intellect steady and should not be deluded. He should not get delighted by getting what is desirable, nor become dejected by getting what is undesirable. So that is verse number 20, and as always, recited beautifully in the voice of Brother Sham. We ended the previous shloka with the description of a jnani as one who never gets deluded, 
to think that the atma has any flaws or even merits in this idea that an individual is not the body or the mind is a fact that is revealed and it is not merely a state that is reached and there is an importance in this distinction it is not a status that is acquired if i could put it that way but it is a truth which was always there which is revealed to the mind of the aspirant let us say i start a small business i work really hard and as all businesses call for i make many sacrifices my family makes many sacrifices and i build a large successful business then this success i will see it as an achievement that has been acquired through my hard effort isn't it tomorrow let's say i come across a person who is leading a very simple life probably doesn't want to exert himself too much is happy to take a vacation every now and then spend weekends in leisure just like how i associate my effort with my success i will associate his mediocrity with his effort or rather lack of effort right but when we talk about jnana yes certainly it is attained by effort and this effort is not comparable to any effort that is required for any worldly achievement this is we are talking about effort that spans through many many lifetimes so there is a lot of effort that goes into acquiring this spiritual liberation or the goal that we are talking about but the nature of this spiritual achievement that is attained at the end of all this effort is such that you will not associate your actions with that achievement that is the very nature of this achievement itself when at the end of all the sadhana i attain the truth and what is the truth that i am not this body mind complex but i am the atma i will not see myself as a great person who did penance or what a great karma yogi i have been or i have been a great bhakta who has reached this state no i will see myself as the atma i will not associate myself with the actions of this body and the mind similarly when i see a worldly person or a person who is still performing sin the reference was being made to a dog eater it's a derogatory term to say that someone who does not have the minimum discrimination of what to eat and what not to eat right that is the reference there so when i see a person like that who is still performing sin or still faltering i will not look at him or her and say see i am a jnani and you are still a sinner like a businessman would say that by my efforts i am successful and by your lack of efforts you are stuck where you are no neither will i associate my sacred actions with the self nor will i associate the sinful actions of the agnani with him or her because the truth i have reached is i am the atma you are the same atman and that samadrishti comes from this truth so it's a very unique kind of an achievement that by achieving it i will look back and say that i have not done anything to achieve it this is the truth i hope that makes sense and i will not be able to associate anyone with the effort that they do the reason i am saying this to is to reiterate the point that this jnana is not like any other worldly success in any stretch of imagination it is not going to make me feel special it is not going to make me stand apart at least in my own view if anything it is going to completely strip away from me the sense of individuality so when we are talking about such an achievement we will tend to see it the way we see other achievements in life right the moment you say that you use the word like goal you use words like effort and attainments and achievements we compare it with all the other achievements and goals that we have in life 
but it is not to be done so and that is why every now and then Krishna explains it in terms that we could probably understand from the level where we are, from the point of view of the sadhaka, from the point of view of the karma yogi. And this shloka is again one such shloka. Since we still see the world through the eyes of duality, of likes and dislikes, Krishna says, Na prahashyet, one should not rejoice. Na prahashyet, priyam prapya, when one attains what is pleasing, what is desirable, right? What one likes, cha and na udvijet, one should not be dejected, apriyam, with the unpleasant. And who should be like this? Brahmavit, the knower of Brahman, who is stirabuddhi, one who has steady intellect, asamudaha, the non-deluded one, brahmani stitaha, and is established in Brahman. So Krishna says, a jnani who is established in Brahman should not be delighted with pleasant things when pleasant things happen and disturbed when bad things happen. When one gets what one wants and one gets what one doesn't want. And as we've seen so many times already, equanimity is so, so important in the spiritual path. And this is one of the repetitions that I made a reference to right in the beginning. Equanimity is the true measurement of jnana. But again, this clearly is another shloka for the sadhaka. We've already described the jnani as someone who doesn't associate oneself with the body at all. All needs, defects, cravings are only for the body and at best the mind, right? There is no necessity to instruct the jnani, don't be elated when you get what you like and don't be sad when you get something that you don't want. Oftentimes Swami says this in uh, discourses, except both good and bad, don't run away from difficulties, don't pray to God that you should not have any pain. I think even yesterday's thought for the day is about that. Swami quoted that uh, famous line, Na sukhat labyate sukham. Happiness doesn't come from happiness, etc. Why does Swami say all this? Because when in pain or when we are anticipating pain, we can try and maintain our balance. Just the acknowledgement that life will have ups and downs goes a long way in preparing the mind to accept the realities of life. But here we are talking about a Brahmavid, knower of Brahman, not merely someone who knows that there is Brahman, and that one's true self is Brahman, but this person is also a Brahmani Stitaha, one who is established in that Brahman. And he has Stirabuddhi, whose Buddhi is unwavering because of which he or she has become an Asamudaha, completely beyond delusion. So there is no question of preparing to face ups and downs, or there is no Priyam and Apriyam for that matter. So though the statement in the shloka is made that a person who is a stirabuddhir sammudo brahmavid brahmani stitaha should not be elated or depressed. The real translation of what Krishna is saying is should not be depressed. It is almost like a mandate, a command that Krishna is giving. But Krishna is really speaking not instructing such a person but instructing a sadhaka who wishes to become such a person that if you wish to become a brahmavid if you wish to become somebody who has Thirabuddhi, then this is the path. You should not be elated when you get what you want and you should not be dejected when you don't get what you want or when you get what you don't want. 
a lot of people ask this question what do you think about this concept called the law of attraction right concept spoken of in one particular book series which is called the secret right does it really work as swami spoken anything about it in fact some of you must have seen documentaries or even read the book where very compelling real life stories of how it has helped people i have had a lot of people coming and asking you know has swami spoken about it what do you think is it valid is it worthwhile trying it out the fact is of course it does work a mind is a very very powerful tool and what you constantly contemplate on does manifest in this very life and that is actually what is referred to as the hiranyagarbha aspect of the mind in fact i had a couple of years back spoken extensively on this topic in one of my talks i will not go into the detail of what is that hiranyagarbha aspect of the mind and the law of attraction in case any of the listeners are interested do write to me i'll send you a, a link where you can listen to that but going back to this law of attraction there is it certainly does work but there is one sure problem with that and that is when you keep repeating in your mind that i will be happy when i achieve this i will be happy when i get what i desire there is a problem with that if you read the book or if you follow some of the speakers who speak about that people who want to become rich they give the example of how they imagine that they already rich they already millionaires and they try to concentrate on that lifestyle that they would lead when they reach there or someone who wants to win a championship imagines that he is already a champion or she is already a champion and that they project that into their future so whoever asks me about this technique i tell them this one thing yes it works but imagining ourselves as anything but that perfect brahman that is complete and self satisfied would only be aiming for low and in a way retreating that we need something to make me happy when i say that i will be happy when i get a million dollars i am going to be happy when i am the grand slam winner in tennis i am going to be happy when i become a doctor or when i become a chartered accountant whatever it is when you keep retreating that in your mind you are retreating to yourself that i will not be complete without this achievement so in that sense the law of attraction definitely works but using anything else as your goal other than the brahman which you really are is probably a misuse of this tool and it is incomplete and it is probably going to lead us to a lesser happiness and we will come to that you know anything boldly anything that is related to the senses are in a way a hidden trap in themselves right but what krishna does in all these shlokas is to constantly repeat that state when you identify with the supreme self right if you really see all of these verses the verses some of the verses which we came across in the third and the fourth chapter he keeps repeating you know when you reach there you will not be sad you will possess supreme peace you reach a state of no return in a sense that you can never be made to feel lacking after that and not only that there is no comparison for you you identify every being with yourself all of these things are reiterations to the mind you constantly keep repeating to yourself even though you're a karma yogi or a sadhaka you're still not there but constantly repeating these things as the nature that we are going to reach this is actually a projection of who we will become in the future and it's the best thing to do right instead of saying that oh i lack this or i will be happier when i get this is like stamping on our mind saying that i am not happy now and i will not be happy till i get it 
but rather reiterating to yourself that this is my true nature my true nature is i do not need anything to make me happy my true nature is i am able to show unconditional love to every being that is in front of me whether it's a sinner or a meritorious person so we are reiterating this truth of our true self to ourselves and there is anything lesser than this is probably a misuse of that powerful hiranyagarbha aspect of the mind so when we say that the jnani reaches the state of truth it means whether i am aware of it or not that is my nature the goal is being referred to as the truth which means i might be a karma yogi or i might even be a very worldly person or i might be even in the worldly sense somebody who is into crime and everything but that does not take away my truth from me i still in my true nature am that supreme self so if i could use the term we are literally marinating the mind in the truth of the self which itself becomes a means by which we deal with pain and pleasure victory and failure and that is why these are constantly repeated over and over again literally so that our minds and our thinking can be put into this truth and whatever little bit it absorbs helps us in this journey of karma yoga or in this journey or whatever path we have taken to reach the goal right and that is the whole idea so that was the 20th verse of chapter 5 we'll listen to the next verse and we'll see what krishna is saying in that one बाह्यस्पर्शेषवसक्तायोगयुक्तायमश्नुते ही फाइंड्स हैप्पीनेस इन इज ओन सेल्फ एंड एंजॉयज इटर्नल ब्लिस हूज हार्ट डज नॉट यर्न फॉर दॉन्टैक्ट्स of earth and whose self is one with the everlasting so that's verse number 21 somewhere later i think uh, probably in the next chapter krishna is going to speak about meditation extensively dhyana but the basis for that is drawn through the concepts that he is saying in these shlokas but the idea of describing a jnani for the benefit of sadhaka continues even in these verses that is the underlying principle in the previous shloka krishna said that he will not be elated or depressed when certain things happen in life i will not jump in joy i will not moan in sorrow so what will be my temperament will i be morose all the time will i be sitting like a zombie as swami would often say man's nature is best described as ananda pipasi which means a being that is forever in search of ananda that is our nature right we constantly are in lookout for happiness from the smallest of things to the highest and it is this craving that will eventually lead us to seek it within so the disposition of a jnani must be one of a person who has found that happiness within so the disposition or the nature of a jnani should be of eternal satisfaction and that is what krishna describes here jnani is one who has found the happiness within but he describes the jnani with a term which is very telling in itself he calls the jnani as bahya sparsheshu asaktatma bahya sparsha what's the meaning of this word 
bahya means outside sparsha means touch so bahya sparsha means touch from the external or from the outside world though the word sparsha means touch this term bahya sparsha means is a reference to all interactions between the senses and the outside world because all sensual interactions are a form of touch if you really look at it even scientifically if you see that when i listen the sound waves which come to me touch and vibrate the tympanic membrane in the ear and that is how i'm able to listen right similarly how does sight happen sight is when the light waves touch and activate the rods and cones which are the photoreceptive cells in the eyes so in that manner all sensual interactions whether you listen when you hear when you see when you feel touch all of that is some form of sparsha or the other so bahya sparsheshu means any interaction of the senses with stimuli from outside asakta the word asakta means detachment so this terminology which krishna is using bahya sparsheshu asaktatma means an individual who is detached from the joy that one derives from the interaction with the outside world through the senses then krishna goes on to say yat sukham that happiness vindati atmani he derives from one's inner self we all derive happiness in some way or the other from these bahya sparsha so what about the jnani where does he derive all his happiness from that is what krishna is saying here yat sukham that happiness vindati atmani he derives that happiness from one's own self so the jnani when described as he doesn't get elated doesn't feel depressed is not someone who has lost taste for happiness that doesn't happen that is why i made a reference to swami's phrase that ananda pipasi as a worldly person as a spiritual aspirant as a jnani we continue to be an ananda pipasi we thirst for ananda and happiness just that a jnani is somebody who has found it and that is the only difference so the nature of a jnani will be not of one who is absolutely detached from the world in the sense of nothing interests the person or he is like a person who is completely lost in coma or something like that no it will be a person who does not have to seek anything outside who is eternally satisfied right someone who has found happiness already if we just examine our own lives it is very easy to notice clearly three different types of happiness three or four it's a bit overlapping but different types of happiness three if i could mainly categorize them we give them different names but they're all different types of sukham or happiness nevertheless the most lowest form of happiness is that which is accessible to almost everyone irrespective of intelligence or spiritual nature of the person and that happiness is the happiness that comes from the senses bahya sparsha what krishna was referring to here the interaction between the senses and the external stimuli it is accessible to everyone to be able to relish this happiness which we call in uh, normal usage as pleasure i only have to be awake or conscious that's all is required for me to be able to enjoy this happiness if i'm completely unconscious and you keep my favorite sweet in my mouth i will not feel that pleasure right so i need to be awake and conscious to that moment but that is all that is required for this happiness but that is also not bahya sparsheshu asaktatma a person who is 
as i said someone who's in coma or completely lost in the world because of disability of any kind is also someone who is actually uh, who does not respond to this kind of external stimuli bahya sparsha we are not talking about such a person who is lost to that pleasure because of any defect in the body we are talking about a normally functioning human body as an example right for such a person sensual pleasures is a low hanging fruit i am an ananda pipasi i want happiness and there is this happiness that is available so easily so indeed i will go after it isn't it but there is a problem with this happiness and there is a problem which is inbuilt into this happiness it needs constant external stimuli today i eat an ice cream i'm happy tomorrow if i want to feel happy again i have to eat an ice cream again so this happiness has two characteristics which are very obvious and these are things which are mundane experience you and i experience this every day the two characteristics of this happiness which comes from pleasures it lasts for a very short time and it has to be repeatedly stimulated with that which causes this happiness and it has diminishing returns if i could add that as a separate third quality which means i keep having an ice cream for every day and you will find that within a week i'll become bored right and i will not feel the same happiness in fact uh, one of the scientific researches that they've done they had somebody's mind hooked up to a system because it is very easy to measure the happiness that the brain feels though it's a different concept altogether the way the brain reacts to happiness can be easily measured and when they measured the happiness of someone who is eating an ice cream they found that the happiness level decreases so much from the first lick of the ice cream to the third or fourth or fifth lick right so that is how diminishing the returns are when we are talking about the pleasures that come from the sensual pleasures right in this happiness of course becomes a little more complicated when the mind steps in this happiness i get when i say i'm seeing a cricket match or playing a particular video game not necessarily you may feel it or you may be interested in something else and i may not sitting there in a classical concert which is a very complex exposition of classical music i probably may not enjoy it i probably might be sitting there and getting a headache and similarly you might be sitting in a cricket match and you might get really bored so the same pleasure with external stimuli become more complex when the mind and one's personality comes in the second kind of happiness is not purely attached to the senses alone it is more to do with the mind so the first happiness is more attached to the senses with a little bit of the mind contributing into the happiness the second is where the happiness is more and more detached from the physical and more and more related to the mind say when the mind is occupied with activity that it thinks is useful which it likes which has a long term impact when someone is say working when you are studying for an exam when you are working on a book you're writing when you are working hard for a loved one and you will find that in pursuing this happiness that comes out of engagement this happiness that comes out of getting the mind absorbed into a work which has a little more meaning in the pursuit of such happiness we will very very easily give up physical comforts we will forget sleep we will forget hunger we might be in a an uncomfortable sitting position all of that doesn't matter when the mind gets completely involved in an activity that it draws happiness from and you can see this one of the best examples you can think of is how parents very easily sacrifice their pleasures and comforts for their children because 
they find more meaning in that happiness than the happiness that comes out of pleasures so there is a certain happiness in this which is deeper than mere pleasure and this happiness becomes deeper as the purpose expands when more people are going to benefit out of this than just me when it comes from the individual to the family to the family to the society when the purpose deepens the happiness deepens too because this happiness now depends less on objects as such and more on the individual so this happiness is not as fleeting as the sensual pleasures and both these pleasures are certainly required for life i'm not in any way berating these happiness these both are required for human life and we have been made in that manner we have been engineered in that manner to require both these kind of happiness and it is these two that are referred to as the two purusharthas kama and artha of the four purusharthas dharma artha kama moksha kama and artha these kama are the pleasures artha is that which gives purpose right that which artha literally means what i gather in the form of wealth in the form of family in the form of security kama is the pleasures so kama and artha literally are these two pursuits that we are talking about in these two forms of happiness but all these happiness do i given two categories i think the gradation of the happiness can be in multitudes all these happiness in some form or the other involve external stimuli bahya sparsha either in the form of sense objects comforts a sense of security from the unpredictabilities of life which involves our dear ones or in the form of approval or applause but even as we enjoy these pleasures if we can pay a little attention and notice that happiness is actually coming from within how is that well we'll not go deep into that we may stray too far away from the topic but the experience is that the happiness only comes from within even as we go through pursuing all these kinds of happiness from the low hanging happiness that comes from sensual pleasures to the happiness that comes with a sense of purpose all of this happiness comes only from within all outside events at best only create a scenario for this happiness to surface to the mind and spirituality is nothing but looking for that reserve of happiness which is within each one of us which is that self and since this happiness is in no way shackled to external entities this happiness becomes limitless if it is attached to an ice cream i need an ice cream to be happy to make me happy if it is attached to family i need the welfare of my family to make me happy if it is attached to my ambitions i need the fulfillment of those ambitions to be happy but when i severe when i cut all these strings and i become an asaktatma this happiness then becomes limitless so karma yoga is one of those many means of trying to find that happiness that is why krishna keeps telling focus on activity not on the results focus on your dharma not on the fruits why is this statement repeated so often because these are ways by which we derive happiness from things that are within our control the moment the bet for my happiness is placed outside of me i am endangering my happiness right we've spoken about this in the earlier episodes too so the whole idea is to find the reserve of happiness within and one of the best ways to do that is to become detached to the pulls and pushes of the happiness 
that is dependent on things outside. When we talk about a jnani, he or she is one who has perfected this means, right? Perfected this way by which you completely cut the strings that pull this happiness. The strings for our happiness are outside of us. So when we talk about a jnani, he or she is one who has perfected this art of keeping the happiness intact and not attached to anything outside. What happens then to one who derives undiminished happiness in this manner? Krishna says, Sukham Akshayam Ashnute The jnani enjoys the happiness that is imperishable. Sukham Akshayam Sa Brahma Yoga Yuktatma He who is a Brahma Yoga Yuktatma one who is absorbed in the Brahman he is able to enjoy Sukham Akshayam Ashnute He enjoys Sukham that is Akshayam which is limitless which does not perish or does not diminish. So this is the nature of a jnani and as I said in the beginning who is being described for the benefit of not the jnani but for you and me. A hint that yes you will feel happiness through the touch of sense objects but a happiness that is far beyond is hidden within is being given in the shloka, right? So an acknowledgement that yes Bahya Sparsha is going to give happiness but you will have to take the path where you get detached from this Bahya Sparsha happiness and look for that happiness within. Well, just because it is within, it is not so easily accessible either. There is a method and there is a means for that and that is what is the spiritual path. But this reminder that the source for happiness is within and only within will make us more and more Bahya Sparsheshu Asaktatma. I will be happy if you give me an ice cream. I will be happy if you praise me. I will be happy if my business does well. But because I am aware that the real happiness is within, I will probably be a little less attached to the happiness that comes from all of this. Or I will be less fearful of this happiness being taken away from me. Right? So for all of us, we are still in that state where we do look outside for this happiness we might not be in that state where we are a perfect asaktatma, we are completely detached from all of this. But even small ounces of detachment from this Bahya Sparsha will take us a long way. We'll find better happiness to us, right? As Krishna had said in one of the earlier shlokas, the jnani reaches shanti param, right? The supreme shanti is attained by the jnani. But a sadhaka starts seeing peace which probably he or she did not see in the worldly path. Sees a peace which is more and more detached from the scenarios outside. In the similar manner, yes, the jnani will be an asaktatma, the perfect asaktatma is completely detached from everything else, completely does not depend on the stimuli from outside. But when we are trying to reach there, we will at least become come to that extent where we say that yes, I will be happy if these things happen, I'm not going to be completely dejected and go into depression when it does not happen. So a little bit of balance comes in when we keep this in mind. So that was the 21st shloka. We'll go to the next shloka. We'll listen to it and uh, we will discuss that as the last shloka for today. Yehi samsparshaja bhoga Dukhayonaya evate Adyantavantah kaunteya 
ನೇಷು ರಮತೆ ಬುಧ the enjoyments that are born of contacts are only generators of pain for they have a beginning and an end o arjuna the wise man does not rejoice in them so that's verse number 22 what is said in this particular verse and of course the previous one is very similar to a shloka that we had come across in the second chapter itself to be more precise the 14th shloka of the second chapter of course there krishna had directly given it as a piece of advice to arjuna but the reason for that advice or what that advice will eventually lead you to is probably mentioned in this particular shloka krishna had said in that shloka in the 14th verse of chapter 2 he said matras parshastu shita ushna sukha dukkada because of the interaction between the senses and the external world you sense heat and cold pleasure and happiness matras prashastu is more or less synonymous with bhayas parsheshu right in the previous verse in the verse in that second chapter krishna had said it is a matter of fact that just like how you feel heat and cold the summer comes and it becomes warm and uncomfortable the winter comes and becomes a little pleasant the winter becomes a little more harsh and then again it becomes unpleasant in the same manner you feel pleasure and pain when the senses interact with things outside and just like how you more or less put up with discomfort that arises when your body interacts with weather you cannot change weather you you kind of you put a sweater when it becomes too cold you wear a thinner shirt when it becomes too warm in the same manner we must find ways to endure with pleasure and pain tam titikshasva bharata he said to arjuna he said oh arjuna you must learn to tolerate them you should learn means of forbearing them but in these shlokas the shloka that we just covered in this particular shloka that we are going to krishna is saying what that titiksha or forbearance will eventually lead to it will take us to a state of being bahya sparsheshu asaktatma being totally detached to the stimuli from outside that is the eventual goal but in the initial stage the desire for pleasure is not completely sublimated but you just learn to tolerate that pain as it is part and parcel of life even as you strive for pleasures you will stumble upon pains every now and then you kind of acknowledge that and you accept that but in this stage in the case of a gnani that we are talking about you realize that the pleasure is only a sham even the pleasure that comes in front of you is not true pleasure it, it is a fake if someone gives you money and takes it away we will not refer to that as benevolence right the morning somebody comes and gives me oh i, I see that you are struggling with your finances take this 10000 rupees and the afternoon that person comes and takes it away at the end of the day you will not look at that person and say that oh he was a very kind man right you will look at it as you know i was duped into thinking that he was trying to be kind to me right this nature of the sensual pleasures when it gives and also takes away as mentioned even in that shloka in the second chapter when krishna said agamappayina anityaha the pleasures come and go and they are not lasting they are anitya they are not eternal so which means that the pleasure that you experience when they give it is not pleasure at all it is a temptation but it never is pleasure because anything that is given and take away cannot be spoken of as something that has been given in that sense right 
So the seed for knowledge is placed in the mind through this information, through sensitizing the sadhaka to this information. That seed becomes tolerance or titiksha in a spiritual aspirant. Right? When you're in the world, when you're steeped in the world, when you're all the time running behind pleasures, this fact that pleasure and pain and part and parcel of life is almost like a seed which is put in the spiritual aspirant, it should become titiksha or forbearance. Then slowly it becomes vairagya or dispassion. In the case of a jnani, it becomes perfect asaktatma. Right? It becomes perfect. You do not be touched at all as Krishna explained a couple of verses back. It's like lotus leaf and the water. It does not interact at all. It does not cause any aberrations in the mind at all. Krishna says in this particular shloka, he says, Kaunteya o Arjuna, Yehi samsparshaja bhoga. Because that pleasure born out of bhoga, samsparshaja means born from that contact between the senses and the sense objects. So he says, samsparshaja bhoga, dukhayonaya evate. Dukhayona means a source of dukkha or misery. Dukhayoni means it is a source of misery. Te dukhayonaya eva. They are only sources of misery and nothing more. So Krishna says in the shloka that Arjuna, you should know that they are not even sources of pleasure. Right? It is not like pleasure comes and goes. Because it comes and goes, they are not sources of pleasure. They are only sources of misery. So in the case of a jnani, the recognition is complete in that sense that the senses are playing games with the individual. They are never the sources of joy. They are almost like narcotics. right? It certainly gives pleasure, but it makes you addicted to it and eventually it does more harm than good. Then how can it be good in the larger sense? How can you call it a good substance in the end of the day? Same is the case with the senses. Yes, they give pleasure, but the same objects are also the sources of pain. And on the long run, you realize the pleasures are few and the misery is more and the net, as you do your balance sheet, if I'm ending up with more misery than pleasures, then I will label them as Dukkayoni, source of misery and nothing more. Of course, this is not to completely run away from the sensual pleasure. The idea is not that, because if that was the idea, Krishna would have told Arjuna long back, take up sannyasa, right? This is just so that we give them least importance in our scheme of things. By constantly repeating this and constantly talking of pleasures and talking of senses in this manner is only so that we do not give them more importance than they should be given. When placed before duty and purpose, pleasure should not be given importance. right? And we know it for a fact. As I just explained, if I want to pass an exam, I'm prepared to forego the pleasures of play and sleep. If I want to I want to see success in business, I'm ready to give up my vacations and leisure. It is just that that attitude should become more and more firm in us as we take to the spiritual path. In the second chapter in that shloka, Krishna had described the sense pleasures as Agamapayina Anityaha. The pleasures come and go. In this shloka, Krishna says Adyantavantaha, meaning they are limited. They have a beginning and they have an end. And that is why they are like narcotics. Because the pleasure begins and ends because the pleasure is so dependent on that external object, it makes you dependent on that external object. There is no way we can derive Nitya Sukham 
from that which is anityam that which is limited cannot give unlimited happiness interestingly as a very famous journalist once said if you think that you can derive limitless benefits from limited resources you should either be a fool or you should be an economist right with due respect to all economists but that is what we are trying to do that which is anityam we are trying to draw nitya sukham from that and it is not possible so it is foolishness to try and derive unending happiness from something that is by nature not capable of giving unending happiness because the nature of that object itself is anitya so he says adyantavantah kaunteya nateshu ramate buddha that is why the wise do not rejoice in these pleasures nateshu ramate buddha the wise do not find that as a source of happiness they do not rejoice in these pleasures which have a beginning and an end adyantavantah krishna uses the word buddha here meaning a discriminating individual though the discussion is about a jnani krishna is stating that this maturity to see pleasure as they are is not even a spiritual trait it is a simple intelligence right it is common sense we only have to observe life more keenly to understand this simple fact even as we pursue worldly goals and comforts i think we should just watch our own mind i'm sure all of you will agree that we have many such accomplishments which you know we have pursued them for many many years or many months but after we achieve them we must have wondered i mean was it worth it is that all did i struggle so much only for this i'm sure that is one feeling we have quite often when we go to some of these overhyped tourist destinations right and it's all the time we see it in the media we see it in brochures we see it in social media and finally with a lot of spending a lot of money and time and effort we go to that tourist destination and say was it really worth it it was so overhyped right so all sensual pleasures are like that overhyped tourist destinations after we get there we wonder oh my god did i crave so much for this did i make so many sacrifices for this and this is an experience that is so real to each one of us we have definitely gone through this experience in our own lives so all this discussion is not to spoil our appetite for pleasures in life and say that oh life is so bugging and i want to run away from here this is not to make us feel miserable often times this is an accusation that is given against indian philosophy saying that it is very negative and it is very pessimistic in its approach it describes everything as pain and a source of misery dukh yoni the idea is not that it is not to make us feel miserable and take away all our appetite for small happiness in life the idea is there is a greater treasure that is available to each one of us on the other side of all these pleasures and we have right over those treasures as swami would say we are amrutasya putraha we are the rightful heirs to that immortal bliss but as we wade through the samsara cycle of pleasure and pain it is very important to know things as they are pleasures as they are pain as they are we must strip life of all the hyperboles of worldly pleasures observing swami he never told us to completely give up all these pleasures i think that was never part of swami's message but just know them for what they are don't overcrave for them don't give them more importance than it's required don't make them the very center or goal of your life and most importantly 
when we have to look within the pulls that comes from all of these external stimuli bahya sparsha should not become a distraction for us so slowly its influence has to be tempered down and that's the whole point right it is not for us to completely you know there are sometimes when you sit down to eat a good meal and somebody tells something which puts you off bad news or something which is not supposed to be spoken when you're eating you lose all your appetite at that moment and you kind of sometimes get up and go away or you eat it without any relish the idea of explaining what pleasure is and describing pleasure as the source of misery and to describe it as a narcotic or whatever we are doing is not so that not to spoil your dinner tonight that's not the idea but to get a right perspective of life pain is pain pleasure is pleasure a pleasure gives you only this much happiness a pain disturbs you only this much you do not give the mind the scope to imagine a sensual pleasure to be unlimited pleasure you do not give scope to your mind to imagine a small pain that happens in life to mean that my whole world has come crumbling down everything is given its role and place and that is why kama and artha is spoken of as purusharthas the goals of human life it is not wrong to pursue them but then sami speaks about dharma and moksha those should be the pillars or those should be the banks that constantly govern the pursuit of kama and artha right that's a larger discussion of course but the whole idea of all of this is so that eventually as i said these are all precursors to what krishna is going to speak about as the path of meditation of meditation and how can you talk about meditation without distractions the best way to do meditation is to get over distractions and the distractions that we are talking about are all having you know molds inside us the distractions are not outside the distractions have agencies within us which are collaborating with all these distractions from outside right so the whole point is to discipline this mind and that is why krishna is repeatedly saying all of this and as i said it is like marinating the mind in truth marinating the mind in these truths about life so that we will look beyond the samsara we will look beyond these pleasures and pains and not get lost in them it is like you have something that is so much more greater there yes this is a low hanging fruit i am an ananda pipasi and there are fruits which are so easily accessible that's why krishna had said in one of the shlokas he said this is a distraction because so much can be attained through small karma that we don't think about karma yoga so the whole idea is to constantly tell us don't get lost in this there is something way 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 better on the other side of the bank and that's the whole point right so with that dear listeners we'll conclude this week's episode we'll continue the fifth chapter next week we have uh, come almost to the fag end of the fifth chapter but i think we'll take a couple of more weeks to complete that so do join me again next week for the resumption of the gita series a triune pilgrimage i most humbly offer this effort at bhagwan's lotus feet till i meet you all next week take care jai sai ram